Welcome, listeners, to the final installment of the Ubered podcast. I'm your host, Evan Kale, and if you don't know who I am by now, then I, I have no help for you. This is it. What a wild ride it's been. You know, I started this podcast project six months ago, and when I first started it, I did not... Well, first off, I did not realize how much work this was going to entail, or not how burnt out I was going to get, but just how, like, the, the structure of releasing these episodes once a week it proved to be a lot more rigorous than I ori- originally imagined. And on top of that, this was going to be a little break from writing, because I had just released Wolf in the Jungle and Uber 2, like, as I was getting ready to start this project. And I was working on my next book, but I thought, like, okay, like, this will be, like, just a little break, and then I can go back to writing. But then this ended up consuming a ton of time, and, like, I ended up wanting to keep writing and keep working on my book beyond what my break entailed, so I'm eager to get back to writing. Now, this episode might be kind of long because, well, this is it, and I do want to get all my final opinions and, and things that I missed. There's some stories that I'm just not going to be including in the podcast. I would say I've probably shared 75% of my rideshare stories now, but if you'd like to know every single thing that happened to me as a rideshare driver, read my books. That being said, I'm going to share two stories in this episode before we talk about some other stuff. So basically, I was going to do a Greatest Hits Volume 3 episode, but the reality is, and I, I have been avoiding saying this on this podcast, I am so, I'm so sick of talking about rideshare and sharing these stories because it's been, I've been promoting these stories in these books for years now, like three years. So it's been three nonstop years of this story or this story. What's the craziest thing that happened to you? Well, let me tell you about this one. Oh, let me tell you about this one. Okay, this story is called Mania, this one here. And this, it's not my craziest story, but uh, if I had to pick any story out of Uber to one, Actually, yeah, this might be the craziest one out of Ubered One. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, it's a Monday night, and I had taken the day off. I was, like, I was just not going to drive, because I would give myself one day a week where I just didn't work. It made things a lot harder for me financially, because you really should be working seven days a week if you're a rideshare driver. But it's the human element. You know, sometimes I get into these rideshare cars, they've taken more trips than me. And I try not to talk to the drivers, just because I have been on the other side of it so many times that I can't, like... Putting myself on the other side of it and recreating what I've been through so many times, it, it gives me a headache. So I usually am just quiet in rideshare rides. But sometimes when I talk to drivers, they work seven days a week and they give like 200 rides a week. And I could I could never have done that. Digression though. Anyway, so I was going. To, this was going to be my day off in the week. And I had ended up like I turned on my app for a second and like I did a short ride earlier that day. And like I did a short ride after martial arts that night. And then I went and saw a movie, and I'm driving home, and I think, okay, you know, I'll just, I'll do one ride. So I turn my app on, and it pings me to this apartment building in St. Louis Park. And I show up, and I'm waiting, and like, you know, it doesn't tell you where the passenger is going. So I assume it's, you know, like every other ride I've had today, hoping it's going to be a nice short one. Just a few bucks to pay for the cost of my movie ticket. Well, the passenger's name is Anastasia. Of course, she's rated five stars, and I'm waiting outside, and she's not coming. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and she's not coming. I call, she doesn't answer, and as I'm about to cancel, I get a text message that says, be right down. So I decide to start the meter because, like, after five minutes, like, I need to be getting paid. This was when, it was 2015 when this happened in October. So this was when there was, uh, it was just less fair to the drivers. It has gotten better, but, like, you used to not get paid for showing up and waiting. So I start the trip, and guess where she's going? She's not going two miles away. She's going all the fucking way to Shakopee. So this is, like, not a trip I want to take, because with, with certainty, I'm going to be stuck out here. It's so late at night on a Monday. 
there's no way anyone's going to be coming back into the city. So I'm going to have to turn around and drive back on my own. I probably won't even make any money at this at all, factory gas depreciation and everything else. Well, five more minutes elapse, and she's still not coming, and I text her, and she says, be right there. And as I am, like, about to just end the trip and drive off, the back door opens up, and I turn around, and this 30-something woman, this ecstatic grin and wide eyes is peering into the car. She goes, hi, Uber for Teresa? And I'm immediately put off by this, because she has so much energy wrapped up in her face, it's unsettling just to look at. And so she crawls into the car, and she's got three bags of shoes in each hand. So as she's climbing in, just like motor, motor mouth moving at a million miles an hour, she's like, here I am, it's me, Anastasia, we're going to Shakopee. And then completely unprovoked, she breaks out into hysterical laughter. And she cackles, look at the shoes, do you see them? I got such a great deal on these shoes, and they're so wonderful. Check these ones out. And now I'm thinking, like, this woman might actually be batshit crazy. And I've got, I've got no idea how to engage her. So I'm like, so we're going to Shakopee? And she goes, that's right. Take us away, my chariot. But only after you look at my shoes. And I pull off the road as an excuse not to study her shoes. And we don't even go a block before she starts shoving them in my face. She's like, do you like this one? What about this one? How about this one? And I'm thinking like, oh, God, I'm going like, to get an eye poked out. I can just see the headline. I'm going to crash. I'm going to kill her. And I'm going to be left without an eye. So I just quickly say, yes, your shoes are very lovely. Is this your first Uber ride? Like, oh, God, it's got to be your first Uber ride. She's so crazy. There's no way she's five stars. Well, she tucks her shoe away, and she replies, of course not, silly. I Uber all the time. It's so great. Such nice people with nice cars. Shiny, nice cars with shiny, nice personalities. Just like yours. And then she bursts out laughing, and it's like, you know, it's not a normal laugh. It's like the Joker's laugh. Like, <laughs> and so I go, am I bringing you home? I'm thinking like, okay, I just picked you up from a luxury apartment. There is no way that you have your shit together enough to afford this luxury apartment. So this can't be your house that I just picked you up from. And she says, no, we're going from an old friend's house to a new one's. Well, I don't know. I don't know if friend is the right word since I haven't met him yet. He's going to be my special company this evening. Guess where I found him? Craigslist. His pictures were so impressive. Here, I've got some on my phone. Would you like to see? Oh, of course you do. Here, take a look. Try not to get jealous. He's so big. And it's like, holy shit. It's 2 a.m. on a Tuesday. And this whack job in the middle of the fucking night is going in the middle of nowhere to get, some, to get fucked by some stranger she met on the internet. And now she's trying to show me his dick pics. Will there be anything else? So I just yelled, no, thank you. I don't care to see. It's like I slap her phone away and I, I'm getting on the highway now and I'm just pedals to the metal. I want to get there as quickly as I can. But her mouth is moving at a million miles an hour, and she just keeps talking. And she just starts, starts telling me stuff about her life. So she zealously informs me that she's a former meth head, which wasn't surprising at all. That her daughter just tried to kill herself with a battle with an eating disorder. That she'd lost her job. She'd been in a fight with some man named Eduardo, who she gave no context about. And it's just that like she'd been in a fight with him. And then she caps it off talking about how she's in and out of credit card debt. But most conspicuously of all about this woman is my hypnotic music trick did not work on her. I would play, like, Tycho or Eastern Sun or, like, chill-out radio on Pandora. I would play calming music as a psychology tactic to keep people calm because usually it worked. Like, I get, like, some rowdy, like, bro-bros getting into my car, and they'd hear this music, and they'd chill out a little bit. It was, like, a subtle way just to keep the ride a little bit more tame, but I encountered something I had never encountered before regarding the music with this woman. It's making her energized. She's like, oh, yeah, turn it up. And she starts, like, dancing to the music. And then she laughs like the Joker again. And it's like, I just turn the music off. It's like, no, you can't handle 
any music. I shudder to think what would happen if I put on classical. So I look at my eyes as I pass beneath uh, like a highway light, and I see there's dark rings forming beneath my eyes. By the time we pull into this driveway of this like random house that she's going to, she's asking for my phone number for more rides, and I just say to her, sorry, but Uber's based on location. It's purely luck of the draw who you get. This woman literally growled at me. Grrr. She goes, I meant for cash, you know. I call, you drive me, I give you money. And I just say, I can't. I don't have commercial insurance, which was true. And so she sighs and she says, well, don't end the trip yet. I want to make sure he's home. And I'm thinking like, oh, fuck, you mean there's a chance I got to drive you back too? You know, I'm the one driving around collecting stories, like hoping the craziest shit happens to me. Even I want off this ride. So she leaves all of her shit in my car and she goes up to this house and she she bangs on the front door and nobody answers. And then she whips out her phone takes out the flashlight and starts banging on the windows and like doing circles around the house. And she goes around this house like three or four times banging on the windows until finally the door opens up. And then she comes bolting back to the car. She hands me a $5 bill, which cues me why she's rated five stars because she tips. Unloads all of her stuff. She says, okay, I'm off. Wish me luck. And then she gets out. And it's like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. This woman tired me out. And stressed me out so much, so fast. So, you know, she had wanted my phone number and I wouldn't give it to her. Well, for good reason, because the next day when I turned on my phone, Uber used to have this flaw where you could connect with your driver up to a day after the ride. And, like, if you called the number that Uber gave you to reach your driver, it would just pair you with them. So, like, if they had a person, this happened to me, if they had, like, a personalized voicemail, you would get the, the driver's real name and their real phone number. It's a block number. But it can connect you to their real voicemail. And oftentimes a real voicemail will say a real phone number. So I wake up the next day and this woman has called me using the Uber block number like three or four times. And she's left me a voicemail in each time. She she first asked if she thought she left a bag in my car, which she didn't. And then she wants, she calls me two more times. She wants a ride, like a cash ride. And then she calls me a third time and she wants me to meet her, but she doesn't specify why. Just like, hey, can you meet me here at this time? So, ugh. Ay, 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 ay. That is the story of Mania. And this next one won't be nearly as long or as dramatic, but it's a good one. This one's called The Escape. This took place about three months prior. So I'm in Northeast Minneapolis. It's a Sunday afternoon, and it, like they just had like a downpour, like a rainstorm. Phone rings, or like the Uber app rings. Maybe it was Lyft, I don't remember. It was for a passenger named David, who's rated well. So as I'm approaching this house where this guy is, the phone rings, and I answer, and I always got annoyed when the phone would ring because that would meant there was a problem. Somehow there was a problem that, that the passenger needed to communicate with me, like they had entered it in the wrong address, or they wanted to ask me a stupid question, like, can we make two stops, which is like, you, know, you could you could have asked that when you got in the car, like, I'm, I'm driving, don't call me when I'm driving to you. So the phone rings, and I, you know, kind of answered disgruntled because I'm expecting, like, oh, I need you to actually go here. But the voice is whispering, it goes, hey, can, uh, can you meet me at the end of the block instead of the address where I specified? And I'm like, uh, yes, like, this is kind of shady. Okay, thanks. And he hangs up. And I pull, so I arrive, and then I hit the tap to arrive button. I'm sitting at the end of the block, and like I said, it's raining. Well, this guy, this young guy comes bolting out of this house down the middle of the block. He's got a suitcase in each hand, and he's running to my car as fast as he can. And he hops in, he throws the suitcases in, he just goes, go, go, go. And I'm like, are we, are we fleeing a crime scene? Right now, like, I want to make sure, like, I'm not I'm not being sucked into something as an accomplice. And he goes, no, I'll explain later. Just go. And he lays down like we're about to get shot at. So for dramatic effect and five-star service, I put the pedal to the metal, and I just burned rubber tearing out of there. 
So as I'm as I'm at the end of this block, I see someone else, like another man comes running out into the street, like looking around frantically. And then like he sees my car speeding away and like he puts up his arms like, what the fuck? And I turn and, and drive away. So as soon as I turn the block, he sits back up and I look back at him. I go, OK, so can you please explain what the hell just happened? So what happened was David was in town from California. He had met some guy at a concert in Colorado and the guy lived here in northeast Minneapolis. And they hit it off, and, like, a little bit of a romance was sparked, and they had been communicating for a while after this concert. And this individual had invited David to fly up to Minnesota and stay the weekend with him. So it sounded great. Well, David hops on a plane, and he's so excited, and he gets here, and then he finds out that this guy who invited him has a boyfriend. And the boyfriend was, like, not cool with him inviting this guy from the concert. Why this asshole would invite David and mislead him like this, I don't know. But then, so, you know, it's off to a bad start. But then they have a party at this house and David gets really drunk and makes an ass of himself and like all this guy's friends don't like David and all of the boyfriend's friends really don't like David. So like David's just having the worst weekend ever. So he finally, he was so uncomfortable and like was so just upset and beaten up and ready to just get the fuck out of there and and regard this as a mistake and forget about it that he went into the other room while the individual who owned the house was vacuuming and called me and like quietly gathered his bags and snuck out the back door and is just like, you know, fleeing into the well, not into the night, it's the middle of the afternoon, but just disappearing off the face of the earth, going to ghost him. We'll never see him again. So I helped him escape this awkward scenario. And like, oh, I felt so bad for this guy. It just sounded like such an awful situation. And I was about this close. Okay. You guys can't see my fingers, but they're microscopically close together to joining him or like going out with him like for a drink or something and then taking him to the airport after. But I needed to make some money. It had been a slow week and I was pretty confident that I was going to be writing about this like right after it happened. So I kind of thought like if I go out to if I go out and have a drink with this guy, I'm probably going to tell him that I'm going to write about him in a book and he may or may not like that. So I dropped him off at the airport and that was that. So that's going to do it for all my rideshare stories in this podcast. If you want to know every single thing that happened to me, uh, read my book. We're going to get into a Q&A in a few minutes here, but first, a word from our sponsors. The Ubered Podcast is brought to you by Taco Bell. Taco Bell, introducing the all-new Matador Nacho Platter, yeah! Come on into the bell, get the Matador Nacho Platter, yeah! Nothing will make you feel like a Matador who just got impaled by a bull. Like eating the Matador Nacho Platter, yeah! Or, if that's not enough punishment for your gut, then try the all-new El Dorado Godito Ranchitos. Just in time for Pride Month, now you can witness the entire color spectrum of a rainbow falling straight out of your ass. So why delay? Come to Taco Bell today. Come to Taco Bell, get the Matador Nacho Platter, yeah! Taco Bell. Fuck you! Fuck every part about you! Are you a beautiful single woman living in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area? Are you tired of all the hipsters and bro-bro douchebags that go on Lake Minnetonka and uptown yuppies? Have you been on one too many dates where conversation went absolutely nowhere? And where you sat down and you thought to yourself, Why must love elude me? Why can't I find Mr. Right? Well, ladies of Minnesota, look no further. Introducing Evan's friend Mike! Evan's friend Mike is single, so goddamn cultured, debt-free, has his own car, has a one-bedroom apartment in Northeast Minneapolis, and has a great job and if you play your cards right, could provide for you. The average Joe will whine you, dine you, bang you, and then say, no thank you, on seconds. But Evan's friend Mike is sure to be coming back for thirds, fourths, fifths, 
maybe even marriage. He's a quality guy. He's so goddamn charming. And he speaks foreign languages and has been all over Europe and can talk about random, random, random cultural shit for hours on end. Sure, he likes soccer, but he's better than some fucking idiot from Minnesota that loves hockey and is missing his front teeth. So ladies of Minneapolis, if you're seriously seeking a real man's creamin', or, 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 stimulating conversation over candlelight, an excellent company, then look no further. Evan's friend Mike. So ladies, slide into my DMs and I will hook you up with a prince. And I bet Mike is really regretting asking for a shout out now. Are angry spirits following you from beyond the grave? Do you fear questions lingering after a loved one is suddenly departed? Are you looking to place a large sports bet but are unsure of which team is going to attain victory? Never fear. Human being is given pair of eyes at birth. But great sorcerer Barbushka has third eye that others do not have. Celebrity medium is big fraud, but as little girl on Strait of Baltic Sea, I had sexual encounter with Satan and was left with the power to see. With credit card deposit of $4,000, these powers, this incredible gift is at your disposal. So call the great sorcerer Barbushka today and give me your credit card information. Eh, Sato-san, Pepsi no hoga hi yo. Nomimasen ka? Say the teachings of Alistair Crowley. Laya anifakul, laya dormin. Imoseme, isabstrazil. Three pickup trucks, type two diabetes, a Big Mac a day, and that's why I started America Man Emporium. Now you get your sorry ass down there this Sunday, and you show off your America tattoo, and you get yourself two AR-15s, plus extenders and suppressors, all for the low, low price of $399.99 plus tax. And America Man Emporium is still a proud sponsor of Tech Nines for Tots. That's a Tech Nine gun f Hello, listener. That's a bushwhacker bill there for you, ain't it? I'm here to tell you about a little experiment I'm doing out in my own ranch in the outback. It's a bushwhacker bill that's built in a commune of shilas. Now what pray constitutes as a shiler, you might be asking yourself. Here's what old Bill wants you to do. It wants you to take your two fingers. It wants you to stick them down your trousers. And it wants you to fail around. Does you find a hole in there somewhere? If so, use a shiler. And old Bill's looking for you. You see, when old Bill's studying your anatomy with these papers, looking at you up and down, anything with a butthole can be a shayla. So, listen up. You got one of those? You get that thing on a plane, you get it out to the outback, and you join yourself Bushwhacker Bill's butted commune of shaylas. Just remember one thing. Escape is futile. And in the outback, no one can hear you scream. Hello, listener. Dr. Lecter here. Kids these days, rude, rough around the edges, in need of dire reform, consumed with their phones and the social media and the lack of manners. It's disgusting. This is where I come into play. And it brings me such pleasure to introduce Dr. Lecter's school for youth reform and proper manners installation. 
now, you might be asking yourself, what business does a serial killer have with my child? Excellent question, one that I am privileged to answer. Please, have a seat. And if answer is yes, and you check box on social media and hacking skills, Kremlin is interested in you for 2020 American election. If Hey, yeah, yeah, we have a great sense of humor. You not see we poison British guy. We say to them, don't accuse us of poisoning. You are going to poison relations. Yes, this is funny. And with the strength of my brothers, dictator is going to call to arms. So if you're looking for a new nanny who knows how to wag a fanny, look no further than you, Virginia, don't fire. Better than anything you'd find on Craigslist, and I won't touch your <laughs> This cocksucker thought that he could cut me off, but I showed this cocksucker I pulled up alongside him. I say, hey, you fuckface, guess what? That's where Big Daddy Caddy beat so much monkey with his dong last night. They go lock this play up, child most animal abuse. Shit, that's pimping. Thick one, too, baby. You know what to do? <laughs> Caddy, come in. And this BDSM play is, is a lot more natural than you're really giving giving a credence, so let's unpack this. That Aston's brown the top is down to take my ass to pound town. And if you're as fed up, outraged at the criminal youth, my family parked me in this nursing home six years ago, and I haven't died yet. And that concludes the Tom Foolery Block podcast episode. I'm your host, Evan K.O., returning now. Obviously, it's my due diligence from the legal team here at uh, EPR, we'll call it, Evan Public Radio. It's my due diligence to inform you that those advertisements were all false, and Taco Bell has no affiliation with the Ubered podcast. But listeners, before we do go any further, there's one piece of information I would like to remind you from. One of my voices. You listen with your ears, you cocksucker, not with your dick and not with your mouth, you fuck. Fuck you. Cut me off. I saw your license plate. I wrote it down. I have a cousin who works at the DMV who can get me your address. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to smash on your mailbox, and I'm going to take a dump on your front porch, and I'm going to take photographs of your wife, and I'm going to send them to you to scare you. I'm not going to do anything, but it's going to scare the fuck out of you, all because you cut me off. <sighs> okay, okay. I'm having way too much fun with these voices right now, but So that voice, that voice has come up. I, I don't even know if I've talked about it too much in this podcast, but I would do that one. That was like my road rage voice, basically, is I would like impersonate like a like an Indian cab driver or something who's got serious anger issues. And I would like yell at people in this voice. Sometimes the windows would be down so the other drivers could hear me yelling like this. And usually if nobody was in the car, sometimes I would go off for a while and I would be driving away and I would still be like talking. You give me the finger, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to follow you home, I'm going to take your dog, I'm going to cut off one of its paws and dump it on your front lawn, and you're going to spend about 3000 to $5,000 at veterinary bills, and then you'll think twice about using that finger again at me, you cocksucker. And yes, I did used to do prank phone calls as a kid before there was like, you know, caller ID was like a mass thing or like you could trace phones easily. And my call, my prank calls were the stuff of legend. Okay, okay, no more distractions, holy shit. So I've been collecting questions from you guys for, God, about three months now, and I've gotten a decent amount of them. I'd like to answer most of them, so 
here we go. I'm not gonna read. Uh, I'm not gonna read social media handles because that. Whenever I'm hearing a Q and A and somebody reads some ridiculous social media handle, especially if it's sexual, even if it's a great question, it totally nullifies the question. And some of these handles, I don't even want to read them aloud. Okay, so first question I got, and these questions are kind of all over the board. I'll stick a ride share first. We'll go from there. Could you have made money if you were driving something like a Prius? Uh, well, the short answer is yes. I could have made more money. Um, I just, I don't know if I could have done the job in a normal car because I'm so, I am spoiled with cars. My first car was a BMW Z3 I've had. Oh God, I probably had 15 cars in my life. Anyway, it, it might sound like a really pretentious thing to say, but if you talk to anybody who's a car enthusiast, once you go from driving a shitty car to a nice car, you never want to get into a shitty car again. It's like, it's the equivalent of shoes. You know, imagine being forced to run a marathon in $30 shoes, and then the next week you run a marathon again, but they're in $300 shoes. Why would you ever want to go back to the $30 shoes? Oh, but they're more economical. Yeah, but you're miserable the whole time. And that's the same thing with the cars. I don't know if I could have done the job, the rideshare job, in a shitty car. Because oftentimes, I was so... Well, I mean, I got my own issues, and we'll talk about that in a minute here, but like... I would just be in such a terrible mood, and it's like the only thing that is keeping me pleasant and on the road and enjoying this is the fact that I'm driving this vehicle. And like, as I snapped at the kid who, he was mouthing off, to, I, I said this in the unwritten accounts too, this kid mouthed off to me and I took him really fast to scare the hell out of him. And like, you know, as I said to him before I stepped on the, on the pedal, I said, hey kid, you know, I don't know if I could have done this in a regular car if I was driving around snotty little fucks like you all day. I can't remember. I probably said something a little bit more articulate to him, but. It was along those lines, and that sentiment is true. So the bottom line to answer the question is, yes, I could have made more money in something like a Prius. I would have been miserable. I probably would not have lasted that long. I certainly wouldn't have lasted as long as I did. And I don't think the adventures would have been nearly what they were without the car. Or I should say cars, because I had four. And one more one more reality about this. Minneapolis and St. Paul, I, I don't work behind the scenes at Uber or Lyft because I'm not an employee. And I don't know the market data. I don't know the ins and outs of every market there is let's like let's just concentrate for argument's sake on the united states and not globally i believe that minneapolis st paul is probably one of the most difficult markets to drive ride sharing because you want you need rides within a three to five mile epicenter of downtown minneapolis that's where you make your money as as i called it the quote-unquote money zone and the reality is most people are going away from the city where it's more spread out and you have to drive more miles and you're not being paid for. If you're in a metropolis like you know New York or LA or something, you're going to get rides all the time and it kind of doesn't matter where you go because there's such a high concentration of people, you shouldn't have any problem finding your way back. And I bet the surge models or the premium price models on Uber and Lyft in these other cities, it probably happens in a more diverse area, a more spread out uh, way than it does here in Minneapolis. It's like like I said, it's the epicenter, and if you're outside of the epicenter, you're not making enough money. The base rate that a person pays for a ride and what the driver gets paid out is not adequate to run this business in, I would argue, pretty much any car, unless you have like a three dollars or $4,000 junker. But they are pretty strict about which cars you can use, and they're strict about the mileage. The bottom line is you are going to destroy your car no matter what, and in my market, yeah, I probably should not, and I didn't know this going into it, I probably should not have bought these luxury cars. I could have made more money if I didn't have it. If it was another market, it might have been a completely different story. I've talked to drivers in New York City who have BMWs, who have I've been in Cadillacs in New York City, much newer than the one I had. 
those drivers make more money, but they are in a better market. And last thing, that's why I advocate tipping so hard in my books and why I, I, I make such a big deal about it because the drivers are not being paid enough. It's like take a penny, leave a penny. If you're not tipping, you are taking a penny, not leaving one. And if everyone took a penny, then the system couldn't function. Okay, next question. Will there be an Ubered 3? No, there will not. There will be a special edition at some point this summer, and I have mentioned that in this podcast before. That's just going to be both books put together plus a bunch of bonus content, uh, unwritten stories. I'm going to put all my passenger quotes in there, more photos, but not an Uber 3. I don't want to keep driving rideshare. I'm about a year removed from it now, and um, I have, like, there have been some readers reaching out to me being like, you should get back into it so you can write another book. It's like, yeah, that's easy for you to say. Who was your absolute favorite passenger and why? Well, I really enjoyed my encounters with two terminally ill people. They were just, they were experiences that I know I will never forget. And I would regard them not as being life-changing, but like I said, something I'll never forget. And it's just to feel that way, to feel that kind of emotion, whether you're bummed out or whatever else, because I mean... Both these two, I, I, once I dropped them off, I felt so sad, but I also felt very alive and that made me feel not good, but pleased to experience the gift of life as much as like a hippie comment as that sounds like. But I would say my favorite ride, um, <laughs> it's, uh, the one with the porn star that like, I still can't believe that that happened. That was the wildest fucking night. I go from driving rideshare to this, this, like I pick up this gay dude and he's hitting on me. Tells me about his friends that are beautiful. They're out at another gay club. I decide to stop driving, go out with this guy, and fast forward the next morning, I wake up in a bed with one of my favorite porn stars. So, fuck, when was the last time that happened to you? Talk about adventure. And that'll segue us well into the next question. Marry, fuck, kill, any of your passengers, go. <laughs> I like it. They wrote go in the question. Marry, maybe Caroline, the girl with cancer, because I had this deep, conversation with her and she was so beautiful oh my god maybe it was just in my head but i felt a connection with her and i almost asked her number and like pursued her but i thought yeah one she looks out of my league like this girl was a 10 and i'm not a 10 and two the context itself i mean she just confessed that she has cancer to me so and that she, like, she was going to be dying soon by her own estimation so it did not seem like the best time to ask her out and fuck, well, I have actually fucked two of my passengers, and both of them are women. And one of them, I haven't seen her in a while because she is crazy. But I have, within the last year, I've slept with her. And the other one, I would have seen again if she had not stolen my roommate Steph's jacket slash best friend. I live, I lived with this girl for like five years. We'd known each other, we'd known each other since like first grade or something. Um, but we were living together when I first started driving rideshare, and I brought this. Uh, what was the next night? I met this girl. And, and we, like, she got my number, and the next night, she came over, and I hooked up, she slept over, and I hooked up with her. But when she left, on her way out the door, I noticed she had on a jacket that kind of looked like Steph's. But I didn't say anything, because I thought, maybe it's just me. And then Steph comes home that night, and she's like, Evan, where the fuck is my jacket? I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, your friend stole my jacket! So, I never saw her again, because she's like, don't steal from me. You know, once you steal from me, that's it. You're out. And kill... Hmm, I gotta think about that one. Oh, I got it, I got it. My former boss, uh, Jason, J-Bag, he's an Uber in one. I drove my former boss who was, oh man, this guy was such a nightmare to work with. He was so rude to me and just treated me like shit. And you know what, I'll tell you what, I would give him a sword and I would give myself a sword. I have a black belt in Kumdo, so I would still kill him, but I'd give him a fair fight. Are you gay or straight or what's your deal? 
<laughs> and or what's your deal? Well, here's my deal. Um, so when discovering sexuality, I realized very, very, very early on that I liked both guys and girls, but I liked guys more. And when I graduated, I was pretty convinced that I was just gay. I'd never hooked up with a guy. I'd never even hooked up with a girl, I don't think, either. I think I graduated. Yeah, I did graduate high school a virgin, having never hooked up with anyone. Oh, wait, actually, that's not true. This one girl gave me a hand job in the back of her Saturn, and I felt her boobs, but um, it wasn't that exciting. But once I got to college, I started experimenting, and I realized I really liked hooking up with guys. Um, I'll talk about all... If I do another podcast, and I'll talk about that in a minute, I will talk all about my shady hookup stories, because I've got a lot of them. All I'll say there is, before there was Grinder, there was Craigslist. Uh, but back on the topic here. So hooking up with lots of guys, but then as a rideshare driver, so I came out as gay because I like I was hooking up with so many. It's like I mean, I was fucking tell people that I like dick. And I thought to myself, it's okay. I can like make like a public coming out thing and you know just say I don't like women at all and kind of cock block myself from women for the future and just be openly gay. But then through rideshare, I started hooking up with women again. I had hooked up with someone in college, um, but it had been a while. And through rideshare, I started again and I liked it. I have no fucking idea, but I'll tell you right now, I like sex, I like sex with men, I like sex with women. So long as all of this sex is consensual, of course. And lately, it's like a pendulum between which one I like more. And sometimes it swings back and forth daily. And at first, it was quite conflicting, and now, let me, let me put it this way. When you go to a party, and you look around the room, and you are non-discriminant about who you could hook up with, it makes a party a lot more fun. So I was I was very bothered about this whole hooking up with women thing again first when it first started happening like four or five years ago. But now, fuck it. You know what? Fuck labels. I'll put my dick where I want. So there's your answer. Am I gay, straight, or whatever? What's my deal? My deal is I enjoy sex. And I like sex with men. And I like sex with women. And I think more people should adopt this and take away from stigma of sexuality. You know, are you heterosexual? Are you homosexual? How about just have some fucking fun? We're a bunch of monkeys. We come from bonobos. You know how much they fuck? You know, as ASAP Rocky said, yeah, I like to fuck. I got a fucking problem. Anyway, what is redacted in Uber 2 and why do you use the word redacted? So my editor was a, or is a lawyer, like actually like a very like well-known lawyer. I don't believe she practices in Minnesota, but she was a Kansas law professor at the University of Kansas. She had a lot of things to circle in my manuscript she also hated it so much and was so offended she ceased all communication with me and uh thinks i'm like the world's worst person but she gave me some really good legal advice i'll give her that so in the story the pill uh she circled some stuff and she advised that i lose the entire story and i thought oh she's just being ridiculous so i sought counsel from another friend who's a lawyer i let them read it i told them everything they said the exact same thing that she did so I sought two more legal sources. One of them is a law student who I attest, my friend Ben, is probably smarter than both of these two put together. He told me the same fucking thing. And then there's my dad, who is not a lawyer, but has been in at least 50 lawsuits and is the definition of litigious. He basically said the same thing. So what I did, I rewrote it, and I used the word redacted, and I changed some language, and I shortened the story. And then, uh, well, at this point... Uh, the editor had ceased contact with me. But the other three said it was fine what I did. So what I had to do was muddy the waters a little bit because I don't like, I self-published this book. I don't have insurance. I don't want to get in any kind of trouble. I probably couldn't. I mean, it would take a really bored prosecutor with fire under her ass to just want to burn me down to come after me. But I don't want to fuck with it. So I extracted some language. I used the word redacted in its place. And if push comes to shove, 
I don't know, maybe the whole story is made up, but it's probably not. What kind of a car do we hear in the intro to the Ubered podcast? That is a BMW M3. What is your favorite car and what is your least favorite car? My all-time favorite car is a 1990 Ferrari F40. If you don't know what they are, look one up. And if I could get it in any color, I'd either get it in black or I would get it in dark green, not not red. I know that Ferrari enthusiasts probably tearing out their hair hearing that, but hey, it's better than a yellow Ferrari. I'll say that much. And my least favorite car, oh God, probably a Scion XB. Those are not the newer generation, the first generation, the box on wheels, probably the ugliest car ever made, or at least one of them. I would have said the Pontiac Aztec, but Walter White and Breaking Bad made it cool, so. Your books come off as very angry, and I'm wondering why this is. And you know, the reporter for the Minnesota Daily, when I did an interview last year, asked me the exact same question, and I hadn't, I was kind of taken aback by it, because I was like, wait, what do you mean angry? Um, I see it more now, and I have a better answer for ne- for now than I did then, because I kind of didn't really have an answer then. I wrote these books when I was going through a turbulent time in my life. I mean, less so Ubered 2 than Ubered, but like when I wrote Ubered, I was so fucking angry because I had just been dumped by my manager in Hollywood. I had like, you know, I put years and years into writing. I had gone nowhere. I had all this debt. I like, I had seemingly no prospects in front of me and just nothing but a heap of ash behind me and like everything I had, everything I had tried at, I had failed miserably at. And I also wrote a good portion of the Ubered, uh, the Ubered manuscript, or at least I wrote like probably the 25, 30% of it right after the first crash had happened where another Uber driver had hit me. So the prospect of like tw- another $20,000 I was going to have to pay and like my life getting turned upside down was looming over my head. Basically writing was kind of the only thing keeping my mind distracted from all the stress that I was going through at that time. And without a doubt, some of my anger leaked onto the pages. And the other, the other reality is I like, I've just been through a lot of shit. You know, I had, my family had a lot of money and they lost it all. I went from one extremity to another. I went from having so much money that I wouldn't have to worry about anything for the rest of my life to not having money to buy food. Literally lots of times I went to bed hungry in college. And when I had started riding Uber, that was still the reality. I was the only thing keeping me fed. I couldn't rely on my parents for anything. Well, I mean, I was in my mid twenties at that point, so I didn't need to, but just like a lot of parents can still take care of their kids and help them out. And like, you know, my friends would, they would go on vacations. They had all their college paid. They were moving to new cities and their parents were helping them out. I had none of that. You know, I had absolutely nothing. I am a product of my environment, bottom line. And the fact that I have handled it as well as I have, all things considered, you know, like, I'd like to see how you do under this kind of pressure that I've dealt with. Because I've basically taken lemons and I've turned them to lemonade. If you could say anything to the founders of Uber and Lyft, what would you tell them? Bottom line, make your drivers employees. You are making enough money where you could create some kind of a system that is slightly more fair. There are too many cracks, too many things that can happen where the driver is the one picking up the pieces, and yet you're you're profiting so much. Oh, we're barely covering things. Bullshit! I just read an article from CNN last week when, when Lyft unveiled their IPO that said if every Lyft employee pooled their money, they could buy all the real estate that's for sale in San Francisco. You know who can't? All the rideshare drivers because they're not employees and they didn't get stock options. They don't get benefits. If they're sick and it's their full-time job, they have to work. It's awful. Yeah, I wrote these books to be funny. You know, really, I wrote these books for my friends to make them laugh. This is the kind of thing, like, I would tell these stories to my friends to make them chuckle. But I'm also, I'm highlighting these stories 
because they are accurately demonstrating everything that's that's wrong with the system. This needs serious overhaul, and the fact that it's gone this far, this long, with this little regulation is downright incredulous. To be fair, Lyft is offering its most dedicated driver stock options. If you gave more than 10,000 Lyft rides, you are getting $1,000, which they are encouraging you to put toward Lyft stock. I mean, it's $1,000. You can use it for anything, but like, it's so inadequate, because just thinking what you go through over 10,000 rides, the damage you do to your car, all the costs that you incur... You're not, you're bleeding money through that. To give you $1,000 for all that, I mean, come on, that's like, it's like somebody who's starving. You give them a scrap, just a scrap, and you say, don't say I don't feed you. How have other rideshare drivers reacted to your book series? So I've noticed there seems to be two different tiers of rideshare driver. There's like, there's the disgruntled driver like me who sees the system for what it is. And then there's the kind that's like the dog that enjoys being beaten by the master. The master beats, and the dog, what does it do? It returns, and it wags its tail, and it waits for another beating. In that, there are rideshare drivers, they basically drink the Kool-Aid, and so some of them have reached out to me because they're just so appalled by me, and they wanted to let me know that they take rideshare seriously. This is a wonderful system. Uber and Lyft are great companies. They provided them with opportunities, and how dare me for scorning it and talking bad about them and, and doing these awful things and smoking drugs while I'm driving people. I... I pity these people because they they just can't see for themselves. They whether they're just not smart enough or whatever, they have convinced themselves that they're in this great thing. I, you know, for a while, I too convinced myself that I was part of something great. Oh yeah, I get to be my own boss and choose my own hours and meet all these cool people. But then things would go wrong and I would be getting kicked to the curb and I would be dealing with these companies that are just shitting on me, making so much money, and it opened my eyes to see this is wrong. And in a way, that's, in a way, that is what drove me to, pun intended, to be the bad Santa of rideshare drivers. I'm trolling the fuck out of the system, and I am the body and flesh of all that's wrong with the system. I should have been shut off a long time ago. The fact that I wasn't, the fact that actually right now I could go get a new car and start driving for rideshare again, that should scare the hell out of you. And good, I'm glad you are downright disturbed and appalled at me. You should be. But you know what? You should be even more disturbed and appalled that Uber and Lyft let me keep driving when, like, th it's not a guarded secret that I've done all this shit. I was on the goddamn 10 p.m. news last year, and Uber and Lyft wouldn't comment on it, and they didn't shut me off after I ran my mouth in the news either. And the reason for that is, I could still make the money. You know, fuck, who cares what I do? It, odds are... I'm not going to do anything, and odds are that's going to profit them, and they're willing to hedge that bet uh, over millions and millions and millions of drivers. That's why, if you have a, I used to joke, if you got a pulse and you got four wheels, go drive for Uber. That's all the regulation there is to it. I'm going to quickly read something here. This is a review that was recently posted for Uber 2. Gregory Smith gave it four out of five, and he cut, he said, a realistic book about rideshare, but a big negative. Evan complains about being broke throughout the book, and yet he has enough money for 420, which he seems to smoke every day. He even shares it with his passengers. There were parts of the book where I saw redacted, which I didn't like. What is he afraid of? That the cops are going to read this book and arrest him? The book is probably because already to search his car or not. I think the cops have better things to do. It would be better not to tell me something than to show me redacted. Besides, writers are allowed poetic license, blah, blah, blah. Also, Evan doesn't seem to understand the difference between being an employee and a private contractor. He wants Lyft and Uber to treat us like employees, but employees work when they have to, not when they want to. Employees have bosses, rules, expectations you must accomplish. 
You only have two rights, the right to accept a job and the right to quit a job. Rideshare gave us a lot more freedom. Besides, who forced Evan to do rideshare with two BMWs and a Cadillac STS? In the end, I appreciate Evan's book, but his hatred towards Uber and Lyft is bothersome. Ridesharing hired you when nobody else wanted you. Ridesharing gave you opportunities when all the other doors closed on you. I would like to read a more positive book about ridesharing. This is more like Diary of a Disgruntled Driver. So, okay, so that's it. Uh, no, I was going to have harsher words for this individual, but then I noticed that he has read all of my books, including my novel, and, well, he left a very good, he left a very good review about my novel, so I'm not, just for courtesy's sake, I really do appreciate, Gregory, you reading my books, but I had some problems with your logic here, so I'd like to briefly address them. The biggest being the, the employee, the contractor thing. I understand the difference between employees and contractors. A contractor has the right to refuse a contractor, and a contractor is also given all the details of the contract before they accept it. They know what they're getting into before they accept it. Uber and Lyft do not give you that say. They do not tell you where a passenger is going, which is the most prudent piece of information that you must need to know to properly run your business and make adequate amounts of money. And the way that this market, like I've said, is structured, you know, fuck, if I'm going out to Shakopee, I'm bleeding money. That could fuck up my entire day which could fuck up my entire week. And guess what? If I blow a tire somewhere along the way, forget it. My entire month could get fucked up from this. If It's like a series of unfortunate events, and if the right series comes into play, you as a driver are fucked. And on top of that, a contractor, if they do refuse the contract, I mean, the person who offered them the contract may not like it, but they're not penalized in the long run. As a rideshare driver, you are required to accept most of the contracts that come through, if you are not, you are penalized. You can even get kicked off the system. So you have to accept blind contracts and you are penalized for not accepting them. Does that sound like a traditional contractor to you? Because I can't think of a single kind of contracting job where those are the parameters. The closest thing that I can think of, and I've said this before, is it's more like professional gambling. You take clues that, that you learn by being a driver for a while. Example, passenger score, where they're calling from, what time of day it is. You profile people as they're calling. That's the best shot you got to picking good contracts versus bad ones. And it's a bad way to pick contracts, period. It's more like you are betting using your car on whatever's coming through on the app, hoping that you're placing a good bet and it will be lucrative. And as for the car issue, without repeating myself, look, right now, stop listening to this podcast, go on Uber or Lyft's website, or go on your local Craigslist, and look up job opportunities. They're going to tell you, they're hiring now to have the best job in the world, become a rideshare driver. And the image... And this advertisement is always somebody driving a nice car. It's never somebody driving a rusty piece of shit. The only way that you can really make good money doing this. Nice car, and the person driving is so happy, and the person in back is so happy, and it's it's telling you you're going to make this money that you'll, you'll never make. It's false advertisement. It's entrapment. So nobody said buy a luxury car to do this, but Uber and Lyft are basically advertising like, yeah, you should buy a luxury car to do this. And the final thing, I couldn't get a job and nobody would give me an opportunity. Yeah, the economy sucks. On paper, it looks like it's great, but it's not. The cost of living is out of control. Inflation is going through the roof and nobody can get a decent paying job. These specialized jobs that do pay well are so goddamn hard and far and few between. The bulk of jobs, there's a lot of them, but they don't pay adequately. You know, in my opinion, the minimum wage should be $25 an hour. That would be enough for me to save for the future, take care of all my debts, pay off all my school, and live comfortably and not be shackled to the slavery of poverty. But even if I hadn't bought these luxury cars, there's still, there's like no way I could pay back my school. You know, I'm paying about $10 a day 
just in interest right now. That is insane. I get so frustrated when I talk to older generations about money problems because they have they don't know what this is like. When they were coming of age, the economy was a lot better than it is now. Inequality wasn't as rampant. You could get a better paying job. Minimum wage paid better. I mean, I'm not saying that I would like a minimum wage job, but if everything went to hell and I fell into one, it would be nice to not be worrying about money and to just have enough to live and live decently. It's not a free society, in my opinion, if the bulk of people are poor. It's not. I never mentioned it in this podcast, but in Ubered 2, there is a chapter called The Last Week where I'm about to publish Ubered and I decide to get a regular job. Well, so what had happened was I was about to publish like three months prior and uh, three months prior to this chapter, and I started looking for a job. And I wasn't getting a call back on anything. I'm talking like I was applying for warehouse positions. I was applying to be a secretary. Easy stuff. I have a college degree. I should be qualified for it. So finally, I had to go to a temp agency, and I ended up, it was a good job. Uh, I was at the University of Minnesota. I was doing document conversion for students with, uh, basically for blind students. I was taking PDFs of textbooks and turning them into audio format. But the job for this, using the specialized software that took some training, the job paid $13 an hour. I was working full-time, making like slightly less than $500 a week. I had to wake up at like 5.30 in the morning every day for this job. And then I had to drive on rideshare on the weekends because I didn't have enough money to live. And if you're sitting there saying, well, I could survive on $500 a week, like, actually, fuck you. Fuck you. A movie costs $20. Going out to eat costs $40 easily. Clothes are expensive. Everything is expensive. There is no reason that somebody who's willing to work and work hard should be in poverty. But this is kind of bleeding into a more complex and now more political issue, and I don't want to get too political on this show. But I will cap off by saying this. Rideshare gave me opportunities when no one else would. Rideshare will take anybody with a pulse and four wheels, right? Yeah, they're giving you opportunity. They'll give anybody opportunity. It's how they make billions of dollars. They could give a fuck who is driving their cars or what they're doing. Case in point, me, the guy smoking pot, driving people way too fast, swearing at them, saying awful things, is still allowed to drive after being on the news, launching two books and a podcast. Uber and Lyft give opportunities to their drivers in the same way that the United States military gave opportunities to its soldiers in Vietnam. And I realize that is an extreme analogy. It's also an accurate one. The book reads like Diary of a Disgruntled Driver. You're goddamn right it does. I am a disgruntled driver. And if you aren't too, then you can't see for yourself what's going on. Okay, next question. If a movie was adapted about Ubered, who would play you? So I don't really see it myself. I mean, I guess I kind of do, but numerous, numerous rideshare passengers remarked that I look like Mark Zuckerberg. So for that reason, probably Jesse Eisenberg. And I recently found out that a book called Diary of an Uber Driver. So when I first published, I checked out to see if there were other Uber driver books and there was this one. And I read it and I laughed because it was short and it was bland and it like, I mean, my shit's exciting. This guy's shit's not exciting. Well, somehow I just found out this week, this guy got a deal. For a TV show. This guy's like store brand diet vanilla and my stories are like Haagen-Dazs double chocolate chip with extra fudge. He writes about, oh, I drove a nice old woman who told me about better times in the 1950s. Fuck, I got little PC in my car. He's on probation. He's smoking crack. There's hookers going down on him. Which of these two stories do you want to see into a show? So listener, I'm going to appeal to you. Please go on social media and tell people about the Ubered book series, the Ubered podcast. Get the word of mouth out. It is picking up, but I need your help. Next question. How much is a good tip for a rideshare driver? And Evan, when do you not tip since you advocate it so hard? Even if I don't like the driver, I always try to give him a dollar. Like you got to really do something wrong to not get a tip. Basically, if I'm taking... A trip that is more than five miles, you start out with $5 for a tip, and then I kind of, you know, how are you driving? What's your personality like? Does your car stink? Do you take care of it? 
uh, like that kind of stuff along the road. So, you know, you start with five and then you go down from there. And it's like kind of like, like the rideshare system. Every, all the passengers and drivers start out with five stars and go from there. So, okay, here's a good example. I was in Dallas the other week for a wedding. Shout out to my friends Scott and Lindsay. Congratulations. I had a wonderful time. So I flew down and I get in there really late at the Dallas airport. And, um, you know, I... I don't get out much. I'm terrified to fly. So <laughs> getting there was its own was its own thing. Actually, I will say this trip kind of desensitized me to flying a little bit. So that's good. But so I show up at this airport and it's like, fuck, I'm finally here. I had to change planes in Detroit. It was a, it was a nightmare. Oh, this is kind of funny. I had I sat next to these two elderly black women on the way uh, from Detroit to Dallas. And well, the one sitting next to me, the one like in the window seat, she didn't talk to me at all. But the one sitting next to me kept talking to me, which is fine. But I had to explain to her what airplane mode was because she had a million questions. It took like 10 minutes to explain something that should take 20 seconds. And she was a larger woman and she had to go to the bathroom a bunch. So she kept asking me to help her out of her seat, which is fine. But she wants me to like pull her out of the seat and I'm strong and I'm not a flight attendant. So I'm trying to like gently pull her out of the seat. I don't want to hurt her. But she's like, come on, young man, pull me, pull me actually saying loudly and aggressively pull me and she also kept showing me scripture so by the time i got by the time i landed and was was hailing this rideshare car i just wanted to go to my hotel pound some beer order some mexican food and watch real time with bill mark because it was friday night well i call a rideshare car and i'm standing i'm at the right spot but i'm three levels down so when i see the car on the app is pulling up and i don't see any cars i realize i'm on the wrong floor so I, you know, I text the driver, hang on a sec, and I have five minutes. Get in the elevator, go up. Two minutes have elapsed by the time I see the driver. He's sitting waiting for me, and there's a door. There's like a double door, like maybe 15 feet to my right that I don't see. I just I get out of the elevator, and I go to the left, and I see the driver, and I point at him, and I wave, and I go running like 150, 200 feet down to this other door out, and I'm like waving my arms. I'm like, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me. And it's only, it's only been about three and a half minutes, so I still have plenty of time. And I'm going to tip, so, you know, well, I guess he doesn't know this, but... So I finally, I get to the car, and I open the back door, and I get in, and he looks at me, and he glares, he goes, you know there's a door right there, like, and he points to, like, this door that I just didn't see, and I look at him kind of blankly, and I think in my mind, what was the value of that comment? Was that comment worth $5? Because that's what it just cost you. So, like, if a driver is rude or lippy, then that's a good reason to not give them money, but if it's under five miles, give them... Two to f two to five dollars. If it's above five miles, five to ten. Especially if they're driving a nice car. If I if it's like a regular like an Uber X ride and it's a BMW pulling up for me or something like that, I'll give five to ten because I know how hard it is for them. Have you ever seen a passenger again after the ride or hung out with them? Um, no, not really. I'm very so. One of my rules is I'm very guarded about who I let into my life in terms of like you know, new friends and stuff like that. I'm so strict and reserved about that because I've had, like, one of the rules is, like, I don't work, I don't hang out with people I work with because I've had one too many uh, experiences where I thought, oh, hey, this person might be fun to hang out with, and I do, and I don't like them, and I'm, I'm stuck working with them. But one person I have seen, besides the girl that I've had sex with, um, the one person I have seen for, like, the longest time, for years and years, probably since, I think I met her, like, three months into driving rideshare, her name's Abby, and she works at Head to Toe Salon on Nicollet Avenue. And you guys, if you live in the Minneapolis or St. Paul area, go see Abby at Head to Toe Salon in Nicollet. Uh, she is a fabulous hairdresser. When I picked her up, I asked her what she did. She said, I'm a hairdresser. I asked her for her card because I was sick of getting, like, crappy gray clips cuts. And 
I've been seeing her since, I won't see anyone else. She's also one of the driving forces behind why I realized I gotta write a book about this, because I would tell her my stories and she would be like so, so amazed at what I was telling her, she would call other hairdressers over, be like, Evan, repeat that story again. How did you publish the Ubered books and how can I publish my book about being a rideshare driver? Uh, well, first off, don't because I don't need any more competition. I'm just kidding. So, okay, so I self-published Ubered initially um, and I have self-published Ubered too. So what you can do, you get your manuscript edited, you get a cover designed and all this can cost upwards of $1,000 per manuscript, like to get it both edited, get a cover made, all that. At least that's about what I spent. And in writing now three books, that's typically what I spend per book to get it out there because I am mostly self-publishing. So I self-published Uber on Amazon. Um, and then what you can do, you can get the software called Vellum, which allows you to format your manuscript into both an ebook and a file which allows Amazon to sell your paperback on print on demand. So the old the old way of publishing was you had to you either wrote a manuscript and you tried to get an agent and you sat on it. And if your manuscript got an agent, then like a real publisher would buy it and take over all the expensive stuff. Otherwise, you had to publish it yourself, meaning you had to buy your own hard copies. And I had heard stories of people spending like 20 grand to make their book. And then they would take it to trade shows and either a publisher would pick it up or more often than not, a publisher would not pick it up. And then you're just stuck with a bunch of copies of your book. But thanks to Amazon's print on demand service, that is no longer the case. Uh, you don't have to really put any money up front besides getting the manuscript edited and getting the cover designed and getting it formatted, which the Vellum software costs $250 and it is totally, totally worth it. I cannot begin to stress how awesome of a program Vellum is. If you have a tight budget um, for editing, you can get the paid version of Grammarly, which is $120 a year. That is also worth it. Uh, the free version of Grammarly is not, well, I mean, it'll catch some stuff, but the paid version is where it's at. So little secret gang, I was strapped for cash and I really wanted to re release Wolf in the Jungle, my novel. So I actually did not hire an editor. I just used Grammarly, the paid version. It's, it's not perfect, but it's pretty damn good. That said though, I would advise you pay someone to edit it professionally. It's just, I didn't have $500 for it. <laughs> but I'm like kind of not answering the question here. So I self-published and I made a PR kit and I was able to get some press around town. And that was able to get me the attention of Black Rose Writing, which is a small publisher in Texas. At the time, I did not have Vellum. Vellum is like kind of a newer thing. So Ubered was only digital at first, and Black Rose Writing promised they could get me in paperback. But what I didn't know was Black Rose Writing is basically a vanity publisher, meaning they don't make their money from books. They make their money from desperate authors like me who pay them a bunch of money for scam services. Well, I wouldn't say scam but they offered me all the stuff that they could do and they didn't do anything that they promised. So they're they're assuming the rights to your book. They're gonna publish it for you, but this is something you can do yourself if you have vellum. So they'll publish it for you. It's like a print on demand kind of thing. They tell you they're gonna do all the stuff like get you PR and get you interviews and send you to trade shows and this and that. They haven't done a single goddamn thing for me. The only thing they did was a Goodreads giveaway for which they sent me a bill. How has Rideshare changed since you left the system? So one thing that's vastly different with the Minneapolis market is the structure, the layout, the way that it is. This was one of the, I don't wanna say one of the last markets to get Rideshare, but it definitely wasn't a priority for Uber and Lyft. So when it did come here, it had been out for a while in other cities. 
and other cities would get stuff before we would like uber eats or uh uber luxury and now lyft has like the luxury option they didn't used to have that and actually i believe they didn't install that until i was after until after i had left the rideshare field so i could have qualified for like lyft plus or lyft premium or whatever they call it but uh, because I had left uh, the rideshare system before it came here, I never got in on that. Like I said, I am one year removed. On St. Patrick's Day, I took a rideshare car, an Uber car, and I was talking to the driver, and he was telling me there's a new surge system. So now it's no longer a multiplier like 2x, 4x. Now it's just a flat dollar amount bonus that you're giving on top of the rides. And although I have not driven under these conditions, I can speculate by just in what I heard from the driver this is a very, very clever way that Uber has slashed their prices because people overall will not be paying anywhere near as much as they were for surge rides, but it still looks like they haven't touched the surge or like the surge model is intact, but it's it's not. Uh, I would make a lot more than a five or ten dollar bonus um, if the if the ride multiplier was like above three X. A driver was recently telling me that uh, the the bonuses, all the bonuses were one hundred dollars per ride during like a blizzard but that was like a one in a very rare thing i imagine by and large most of these surge bonuses now are like three dollars like five dollars or something that's like a slap in the face so basically the surge model has totally changed and drivers seem to be making even less now than they were before what's next for you are you going to write more screenplays and what were your screenplays about i have not written a screenplay in three or four years and i will probably never write one again unless i'm paid to do it and i strongly doubt that's going to happen unless wolf in the jungle or this gets picked up in which case i would if anybody wanted to adapt this into a tv show or a movie or something like that I would ask whoever bought the rights if I could write a draft. <laughs> Just my luck. I try so hard at screenwriting, I fail, I write a book, and then that brings my screenwriting career to life. No, that's, that's probably not going to happen. So I'm basically, I'm done writing screenplays. I've got a mountain of them because I spent, God, I spent like eight years on it doing nothing but. And when I say doing nothing but, I mean I actually put 40 plus hours a week into working on my screenplays for years and years and years. So what are, what are your screenplays about? I could tell you because I don't want to talk for three hours and, and to give you a pitch on each one, that's, I don't know if it'd take you three hours, but it would take me some time. I'll tell you about my favorite one because I am, maybe one day I am going to do something with it, whether it be turn it into a book or something else. It's called The Sagey Four. It's the screenplay that's gotten me the most recognition. It's won the most awards. It was a top 10% script in the 2012 Nickel Fellowships in screenwriting. That's the most prestigious screenwriting competition there is. It was also that year in the Beverly Hills Film Festival official screenplay selection. It's an alternate 1990. Things happen a little bit differently. A World War III happens. Capitalism wins. So, like, the status quo for, like, the world economic government is capitalism on crack, basically. So these four incredible guys, uh, one of them is a crime lord from Britain. One of them is, like, one of the best legal and economic minds on the planet. One of them is this legendary gunman mercenary, and one of them is this, he's a white guy, he was adopted by a Japanese Yakuza clan, and he's now, he's like kind of been groomed to take over their clan, but he's also this just like, he's a fucking badass, his name is Cerberus Mikado. Anyway, so these four, united under the crime lord, uh, go to New York City to hatch this crazy convoluted corporate crime scheme where they have this company and they're doing like enron style shit with the company so by day they're making all this money from like all this sketchy shit they're doing on wall street 
And then by night, they are using their military skills to ransack the Manhattan underworld and take over and funnel all their dirty money through it and, and grow their dirty money even more. And you know what? I actually, this week, I'm going to share some of my concept art I have for it on my Instagram. So follow me at Evan Kale and you can check some of that out. My friend David Kettle, who designed the cover for Wolf in the Jungle, uh, did this stuff for me when he was in art school. He One of the projects was he had to make some concept art, so he asked if he could adapt, uh, or he could use one of my screenplays. I'm like, why, yes, you can! Anyway, though, so currently on my desktop, I have Seiji 4 Part 1 and Part 2 because the script was like 300 and something pages, and I cut it in half. And I have a finished 133-page sequel called The Mikado Affair. And on top of that, I have 30 to 40,000 words somewhere in my computer in a manuscript of... Uh, uh, like, I attempted to turn this into a book, basically. Like, right after I finished Ubered 1, I was asking myself, okay, what's next? I kind of want to write a fiction book. I should turn Seiji 4 into a book. But this is kind of a story I have told to myself so many times, so many different ways, because I've rewritten it and rewritten it, that I I need I wanted to write something else. And so well, I'm glad I did, because I wrote Wolf in the Jungle. As for my other projects, because I am focused now. So now that this podcast is done, I'm going to get back into writing for a bit. I am thinking about launching another podcast later in the future but this ended up taking a lot of time and more time than I was planning on so you know like I work a regular job right I work 35 hours a week between this and my writing projects and all the other stuff I actually work 35 40 hours a week on creative projects you know people think I'm sitting at home smoking dope beating off it's like no yeah I am smoking dope but it's because it brings out good creativeness in me I'm banging my head trying to make my dreams come true, writing, writing, writing like a machine. Only recently are people starting to see the fruits of my labor, because when I was writing screenplays, nobody saw it. Like, you know, I'd submit it in a contest, but nobody could download them or read them. These books, I'm putting them out like crazy, because I work my ass off writing. Anyway, though, for books, so I have a book about my dad I will be releasing. It's a biography. My dad has had a fascinating life. He's been to federal prison. He was a private investigator. He's a black belt in Shaolin Kung Fu. He discovered this kind of rare coin that made him, uh, well... You'll have to read the book. It's going to be called... Actually, I'm not even going to say the name of the title because I don't own the copyright to it yet. So that book or that manuscript is done. I am still working on it. I'm going to let, obviously let my dad read it very soon here. I'm thinking it's going to be my Father's Day gift to him is the finished manuscript. And I'm hoping to put that out in some point in 2019. I also have a first-person horror novel, which I started working on about a year ago. Got about 15, 20,000 words of that. I haven't worked on that in a while. Basically, I got so busy with this podcast, something had to go on the back burner, so I chose the horror novel. And on top of that, I started writing it without really thinking. I just kind of sat down and started writing. And about 10,000 words in, I realized I was writing first person, and I want to get away from first person. I like third person. I think it takes a little bit more skill to write in the third person than it does in the first. And all of my books, except for Wolf in the Jungle, including the one about my dad, are in first person. So I want to... You know, I'm thinking, am I going to just go back and rewrite it so that I can make it in third person? Do I want to keep the first person? I don't know. But that's a cool concept, this uh, this horror thing that I'm working with. So I got that. And then I have some other stuff I might want to do. I might want to write a book about my mom because she was she's kind of a local celebrity with her makeup skill. She's been retired for a while, but she had a fascinating life too. So all things considered, plenty of options, uh, more books to come. I'm going to just keep writing and self-publishing books until I have a real publisher behind me. And you know what? I believe in myself. I'm not giving up. And I think eventually that's going to happen. It might, might not be tomorrow. might not be next year. Might, you know, I might be on this road for five more years, but I'm going to stick with it. Fuck, I've been through the mud this far for a decade. I may as well not turn back now. 
if money was no object and you could do anything with your time, what would you do? I would actually get way back into, like, let's say I won the lottery. Um, I have a, I have a production company. It's now a publishing company because that's the name that I'm publishing my books under. Stone Arch Entertainment. And I originally founded it when I was into screenwriting because I wanted to expand the Minnesota film scene and build a production company here in Minnesota, making only movies in Minnesota. Minnesota is beautiful. It's cheap. But, uh, well, the film board's a bunch of assholes. The state did away with all of its tax incentives. And the climate is harsh. So not an easy task. Uh, it was something I put a lot of years into. One of the things that I ended up doing, I wrote and produced a short samurai film in 2012. And the general thesis of the project was to see if I can fake Minnesota for looking like ancient Japan. I wasn't trying to make like an Oscar-winning movie. I just wanted to see if the landscape could work. And so I did this experimental short film. It's an extremely high-budget experimental short film. That's another story. Uh, and the, the bottom line is, yeah, actually, we could fake Japan in, in Minnesota. So if I had, like, one of these projects I would do if I had, like, lots of money and Stone Arch Entertainment was, like, a real production company, is I would do a big-budget samurai movie here in Minnesota, kind of like how spaghetti westerns were done. Like, a spaghetti western was an American concept, an American cowboy movie, but it's being shot in Italy with mostly Italian actors, kind of the same thing. I would use like Japanese-American actors, shoot the whole thing in Minnesota, but the whole movie would be in Japanese. Uh, no bullshit, I wrote my senior thesis in college on Hagakure, the Book of the Samurai, and as, oh god, I was so cracked out on Adderall. As I wrote my senior thesis, I wrote a movie script alongside it, and I recently reread the script, and although it is one of my Adderall crack scripts, because I wrote a lot of these scripts cracked out, it's a good script. It's got some great ideas, and I would love to rewrite it and bring it to life. I'd probably need at least $5 million to make this movie, but... So, okay, so to answer your question, I would make movies in Minnesota, and I would start with my passion project, a samurai film in Minnesota, and then I would kind of build a production. If the movie did well, I would build a production company around it and only do movies in Minnesota. All right, this next question I love. If you could fight any celebrity, who would it be and why? Uh, hands down, Gwyneth Paltrow. I cannot begin to stress how much I hate that human being. I've never met her, but from the interviews that I've seen, she seems like such a stuck-up bitch, and she's peddling the scam shit that people are throwing away so much money on, and she's being told by, like, the medical community, stop it, she's being sued, and then she just... She's got this alternative fact bullshit. She's basically leftist alternative facts. The only reason she's famous is because she said, Daddy, I want to be in the pictures. And Daddy said, Okay, darling, I'll put you in the pictures. And now she's in the pictures. She's a terrible actress. She's a terrible person. And her company, Goop, seems to be the embodiment of her. Bougie scam shit. Kind of like Howard Schultz. I wish she would just go away. Okay, and the final, final question where do you see Uber and Lyft going in the future? So when I started as a driver, Lyft was worth like four or five billion and Uber was worth like 40 or 50. And now Uber is somewhere around 80 and it's been hovering there for a couple of years. And Lyft has gone from five to, as of their IPO, it's, I think it's above 25 now. It's between 25 and 30. I forget what, you know, I could just look on my computer, but I'm lazy. But I see Lyft basically as being a walled city under siege and that Uber is the big guy. They're international. Lyft is concentrating on domestic operations, and Uber is just everywhere around them. And Lyft, it's a David versus Goliath kind of fight. They're sure catching up, but they, they're up against something that's so strong. Uber has the brand recognition. They're the Kleenex of this game. I call my book series Ubered because I would be driving people in a Lyft car, 
and they would get a phone call, and they'd say, hey, I'm on the Uber on the way to get to you. Not, I'm on the Lyft. they tell me about how much they love Lyft and how they only take Lyft, but they would use the word Uber as the verb. So that clues me that it's going to be a long, steep battle if Lyft wants to win this, and I just don't see it happening in the long run. I think eventually Uber is going to buy Lyft. I mean, Uber is basically a virus of capitalism. It has spread like wildfire. It's everywhere. And although Lyft has carved out very strong foundations, I just don't think the siege is going to go on forever. If Uber had not made so many public PR blunders, then perhaps they would have conquered Lyft a long time ago. That's really... The only thing I can think of that's propping Lyft up this well is the fact that Uber has constantly been in the news since it first came to be for scandals, scandal after scandal after scandal. And they're not like little scandals. They're, it's really bad. You know, they got rid of Travis Kalanick, but by then the damage was, it was too little, too late to do. The company's, it seems to be just toxic. But I will tell you one thing, I would not invest in Uber or Lyft. That both system, or that the rideshare apparatus in general has gone this far without anything truly disastrous happening to me is, it's a happy accident. But I'll tell you the biggest thing with this rideshare uh, with the future of rideshare, with everything that happens regarding who wins this revolution and, and which company wins out, it's all about the autonomous car. Whoever puts it on the road and is able to prove that it's safer and better and is able to fully instigate it in every market, or at least the majority of their markets, they're going to win the rideshare revolution. That's going to be the system that sticks. I've said this in my books. I am such an advocate for self-driving cars. I think human beings naturally, we are just too careless of creatures to be left with the power of something that weighs 3,000 pounds and can move at 150 miles an hour. I mean, cars don't usually drive that fast on the road. You get what I'm saying. What exactly is a quote-unquote accident? It is rarely just that. And it's human miscalculation. It's inebriation. It's looking down at your phone. It's distraction of some other kind. It's rarely an actual accident. It's rarely a blunder that was just, you know, no one's fault. Machines, by their very definition, are calculated perfection. So as soon as these machines get better and safer and we can figure out the regulation and how we can we can put these on the road and all the legal ramifications are figured out, you know, it is, it is going to be a logistical mess. But once it is figured out, it's going to make roads so much safer. If you guys remember my story, Herschel's miscalculation, I talk with a tech expert. We have a little argument about autonomous cars and... He said, his argument was, as soon as, as what happened in Arizona last year happens, uh, the whole self-driving car movement is dead. That didn't happen, okay? It got shuttered. It sure did. And Uber pulled the plug on their self-driving car operations for a couple months. They're back on the road. They're not back on the road in every market, but Uber is trucking forward, and so is Lyft. In fact, Lyft, when that happened, they didn't comment. They didn't say anything about it. It's because they are developing the technology, too. And to even comment on it would rope them into the scandal. So they were silent while Uber was doing damage control with this accident. Now, apparently what happened was there was some kind of little system failure. From what I read, the computer saw her, but it calculated that a collision would be avoided on its own. And then when it calculated that a collision was not going to be avoided, it was too late. And interestingly, the driver involved, or the pilot, if you will, involved in this crash, the person behind the wheel when the autonomous car ran this woman over, was looking at like the voice or like some like show on their phone or on their tablet or something. And on top of that, they tested positive for methamphetamines in their system. So also marijuana, but that's neither here nor there. The bottom line is the first autonomous fatality has happened. And guess what? The autonomous car movement has not been shuttered. It was briefly, but it's back on the road. And both Uber and Lyft see this as the key to the future because not only is it safer and a better system, 
but they get 100% of the profits because the cars, these autonomous cars, yeah, they're more on the hook for liability, but these autonomous cars are going to generate 100% revenue versus uh, a cut that pays out a driver. The drivers are just middlemen, and any middleman is eventually going to be replaced. It's common sense. The hard part is the safety, the liability, the legal ramifications, all that stuff needs to be figured out, and it's going to undoubtedly be a logistical nightmare. But once it is figured out, it's going to be a better system for everyone, especially in the name of safety. Now, how long exactly that's going to take, I have no idea. Let me just say, the movie... Oh god, I hope this comment doesn't age poorly. <laughs> the movie iRobot. It's not a good movie. 2004, Will Smith. I think it's 2032 in Chicago. I think that Chicago in 2032 is going to look something like that, especially with the cars. Or maybe not, but I don't think so. Autonomous cars are coming, and mark my words, whichever one of these rideshare services gets their hands on it first, figures it out the best, and instigates it on the road, they're going to be the ones who win the rideshare revolution. And if one company can figure it out while the other one is doing circles and isn't even close, then the one who hasn't figured it out is going to die and die quickly. But with that, listeners, we are going to conclude this podcast. I want to thank each and every one of you for giving me your ears your time, your attention, it's meant a lot to me. A lot of you have reached out to tell me how funny you think my stories are. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support. Up until I had released Ubered, like very, very, very few people had read any of my writing material or knew much about me. And this has really brought me forward kind of into the world. And it's it's been a wonderful experience for me, especially when I am reading scathing emails from somebody who's so wildly offended by my books. To know that I can piss you off that much with my writing alone, that tells me I'm doing a good job as a writer. As always, I will please encourage everyone to check out my books. The Hennepin County Library here in Minneapolis carries all of my titles. You can get everything I've written on Amazon. And if you do read my stuff, please leave reviews on goodreads.com and Amazon. It helps me a ton. And go on social media and tell people about these books. Help me spread the word. Because like I mentioned, it's a bozo in Australia got a deal. And his stories do not hold a candle to mine. So please help me. But listeners, with that... This is your stop. You have been Ubered. I'm Evan Kale, signing off permanently for the Ubered Podcast. Cheers, Dolly. Cheers.